Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Trek Nevabel. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are reviewing uh, this week's entry for Discovery, uh, The War Without, The War Within. Okay. Um, the penultimate episode in season one. Uh, okay, so I enjoyed watching this episode more than I have in recent weeks, um, largely since the Tyler, Voke, and Lorca reveals. Um, since we got to the Mirror Universe at the start of that, when I really liked those, uh, I enjoyed a lot of this episode, largely because this episode was people talking about their feelings. And with a few meaningful exceptions, I believe those conversations were successful. Um, like, uh, starting at the top, I thought Saru's scene with Tyler was great. Saru acted as a reasonable Starfleet officer. He can he can he drew the line between Tyler's culpability and Valk's culpability, but did not act stupidly. Because yeah, of it. so like great I mean, example, guys, keep doing that. <laughs> let, let's call this the Tyler story. I mean, the episode dealt in large part with the fallout of the Tyler story. How is the crew going to respond to him? So Saru's response uh, was pretty good uh from like an emotional standpoint from an intellectual standpoint i (laughs) i i feel like he sort of gets on board the you know you're okay train a little quickly um i mean tyler literally says to him that i have access to all of folks memories but it feels like watching someone else and it's like (sighs) in that case it sure sounds like you're basically just still evoke you know um you know and there's some level of control that you have over that part of your personality at this point that you did not have two days ago uh but i i would be (laughs) i would be really reticent to just absolve you of all the crimes number one and then to let you have free run of the ship uh, basically, he says, you know, your, your privileges will be restricted, but I won't take away your freedom. That's like, well, you know, maybe taking away freedom is still kind of a good idea at this point. They're, the crew quarters are not terribly small on this ship. Um, it, it doesn't seem inhumane. And I, the guy literally just broke the neck of some high up member of your medical staff, tried to kill another person. And is literally the leader of the Federation's mortal enemy. I mean, not not figuratively. Like, it literally is his body and his brain just altered in some ways. And the thing that has allowed the Tyler personality to reassert itself was the actions of another mortal enemy of the Federation, Laurel. You didn't really know what she was doing. It's medicine that's not sanctioned. Uh, you know, so it's like your people have no idea what actually happened and whether this is just another complex feint, you know, you know, some way of uh, masking things for, for a time. Uh, Laurel has no motivation to, to be up front with you or the Federation. It just... 
No, I, I appreciate all those arguments. Uh, I think it was more for me. It was just a factor, and I think this comes in much more with Tilly's response. It's the, the kind of compressed timeline that story arcs develop on the show because of the way they break stories over episodes. Like, I think, like, Tilly's response is in character, and I believe yeah. it was a conscious mirror of her um, scene with Burnham at the top of sure. the show uh, at the start of the series. So I liked that, but in, in a normal Star Trek series, Tilly inviting Tyler to her table would have been the end of an episode about Tyler's arc. You know what I mean? It would have been the like, and here's the moment where we know she's trying, as opposed to she's just done, it's done, everyone's fine, and the whole crew is fine. It's well, and so, the, yeah, that scene in particular was, like, I really liked her end of it, but then just when, like, when the rest of the crew, everybody can... just joins in immediately. Right, it's like, dude, 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 not everyone is that cool, no one's that cool. It's, yeah. it's just... I liked the idea because especially for Saru and Tilly, I think it is a very Starfleet position. Like sure. they would set aside whatever emotional qualms they have for the philosophical, if they, if they believe that uh, the person responsible for killing Culver doesn't exist anymore, they would believe they should separate out their feelings from how they treat the person Tyler is now. Yes. And that's so their, their ethical stance makes total sense and does feel like quote unquote real star and trek the, pro it, the problem it, is it just we happened, haven't been given enough it just happened like in 20 minutes instead of even 45 minutes um yeah. i have not been given enough information to be there with them yeah i liked um i thought stamen's response was was good um i like i liked that scene um i almost wish they had gone farther with it like it's all it's kind of like um like last episode they almost like there other than the scene with Hugh in the mycelial headspace Stamets wasn't acting like someone who just suffered a traumatic loss you know what i mean it's like they were it was just Stamets in the mycelial network story so i'm glad they're having him deal with this but it again it all feels a little abbreviated like i i would have liked longer on that interaction like 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 and again in the sort of hypothetical or just a different scene with stamets right like you one know. with him going to saru saying how can you let him out or i refuse to work on this ship if he works on this ship like all of which would have been understandable responses and then that because that would have provided an opportunity for saru to better explain his position it would have been more time for us to think about these things so like i all of the notes, and I'm going to get to the one that fell pretty flat for me yes. in Tyler's arc, were were correct. It was it was the, the emotional notes. Yeah. Let's. I want to be clear. Yeah. The emotional yeah. notes. The science fiction elements are woefully underdeveloped here. It's oh, like, no. I, and I'm who saying, the hell is Tyler? Where does his personality come from? How did they extract it from the guy that they captured and made this guy look like? It just. No, for it, me, it's th just... there is one emotional bum note, and it was in his interaction with Burnham. That scene oh, yeah. was trucking along just great. It was a great scene. Sonequa Martin-Green was acting the fuck out of it. And then yes. he said, you didn't like when she correctly and it was a great line i really liked it when she calls him on when you were having problems with this you didn't come to me and that wasn't fox personality that was the tyler personality who tried to ignore what was clearly happening to him that's a correct assessment that makes burnham look smart 
and it is emotionally honest. And then he said, you bailed when it got complicated. And that's almost an exact quote. Well, so like actually, I, I just rewatched that scene just to be sure that I got the dynamics of it. And his unbelievably stupid statement actually comes before she says that. And he kind of breaks it out really early in the conversation. And he's like, you know, you just you need to own up to the fact that things got real between us. You know, you, you finally let someone in. And then when things got complicated, you know, you bit, you know, bailed right. or whatever whatever right. the words right, were. Right. And it's just and to be fair, <laughs> she does react with this sort of, you know, what, what the, the fuck, fuck did yeah, you just yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, that was like, great. Getting complicated is like, you know, you you revealed that you still have feelings for, you know, your your ex-girlfriend or something or, you know, uh you you need to move to Uruguay next month and you didn't tell me when we started dating. You know, complicated is not you you murdered a friend and tried to murder me because you're secretly cl- right. Like like your body was, you know, like physically shaved down and split in two and your bone marrow was sucked out and your your personality is some sort of bizarro construct that we don't even know. Right. It's that's, like yeah, that's it's a little more than complicated. Co- that is an order of magnitude more than complicated. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Any reasonable human being would be completely within their rights to say, uh, yeah, you know what? We're broken up now, okay? Well, I, it's, I think it's beyond what a human mind should theoret. Like, there's certain stuff that is just not reasonable to expect me to handle. Like, th- like that is just so far outside the normal human experience that no piece of cultural or psychological ex- training would prepare you for that. So that was just a crap line. Um, well, and so, like, I was trying to figure out, it's like, okay, are the writers that stupid? Or is it Tyler that's, like desperate and manipulative and you know just sort of a wussy dipshit and i can't decide because so much other writing in this series is bad uh it's like i kind of think the writers thought they were they were making it like a meaningful fight between the two but uh, i will say i did like how that scene ended uh when she said you have to go through this alone because it's something i went through that felt honest and not just like her punishing him or her forcing herself to end things with him. That felt like an honest assessment. Um, that well, I, or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I like enjoyed, maybe she was punishing him a little bit, but it was also honest. Like I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, so was that it? was the most successful part of the story. Yeah. In uh, my opinion. What I, what I will say is I'm like, like, and this goes back to like what we've been talking about for weeks now with the whole, with, with Vok, with Culber. It's just the more interesting idea of this relationship for me is the man suffering clear crippling post-traumatic stress disorder and the woman who was trained to ignore her emotions suffering a huge emotional loss herself like these two very wounded people finding each other being attracted to each other and learning to navigate that relationship in the context of their healing processes is extremely interesting to me it is a very it is a it is an exaggerated form, but it's a very recognizable human thing. Because well, Kevin, unfortunately for you and your level of interest, the PTSD is now not real. <laughs> right. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, even if this goes somewhere, it's still not going somewhere that I'm going to latch on to, I, I, I expect. I mean, they could surprise me, but I'm not anticipating it. It's just the more interesting story was watching 
real human beings deal with extraordinary things. That's that's good science. I think that's good drama, let alone good science fiction. So it's like, like that, like 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 I've raved about the scene before, but that scene when they wake up together on the couch, not having had sex, showed such a nuanced portrayal of traumatized people learning to trust again that I was floored. I'm like, this is like a normal relationship is hard enough to you know whatever whatever healthy sane means, but like to together people working on a relationship is hard two people with like trust issues and trauma issues learning to navigate that relationship has lots of interesting completely organic pitfalls they didn't have to invent like yeah it's just that is like whatever tyler is now i don't care if he works it out with burnham yeah i mean <laughs> I, I i feel like they were trying to make us uh, wonder what her decision would be and to to make us see both sides like Tilly gave the the best possible defense of sticking with him but yeah at no point during that conversation was I like maybe you should stick it out with him maybe you should try to help him I was like dude you know <laughs> this is just yeah uh, this is a bad bad situation and you need to get yourself out of it as soon as possible um, okay, so the Tyler story and emotional fallout stuff was the most successful part of the episode. Uh, the fungus story was dumb. It was dumb. So the, the fungus story was necessitated by the war plot, and we can get to the war plot in a little bit, but I just I want to highlight how stupid the fungus story is. Last episode, it was said in no uncertain terms, this is the last, you know, supply of spores we have or will ever have. Uh, it, they, they literally had to blow up a Death Star in order to get enough spores to get home. And once they did that, boom, they're done. Okay. But now the plot has dictated that we need spores to jump into the hollow core of the planet Kronos. Don't get me started on that. And so Stamus is just like, oh yeah, no problem. We'll just use some of the spores that I have in engineering. Like what? Wait, are two different sets of writers working on these episodes and they're just, this is like uh, Rian Johnson ignoring what J.J. Abrams did in the previous story. You know, just like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Because that's the level of ass pull that we're engaging in here. Um, but then they, they, they like want to make it dramatic or something. And so it's like, okay, let's warp over to this moon and quote unquote terraform it. <sighs> Terraforming people is something that takes decades, not minutes, decades. Okay. If it was this easy to make a whole new supply of spores, why haven't they done it already? Why hasn't why haven't a dozen different groups done it already? Why isn't the whole fleet equipped with these fucking spore drives? It and I can I can imagine someone saying, oh, you know, you're just you're being a stickler for things that don't matter. 
you know, it's like there's there's a bunch of sciencey stuff in regular Star Trek that is just as silly. Well, no, first of all, it's not just as silly, but second of all, they're violating the rules that they created, which makes it very hard to care. Yeah, and like I said, they la- spent between five and ten minutes on this, and there was like music cue, and they used their effects budget to do the spore shit on the planet, and it just like. I don't care. I can't care because I know that you can just do whatever the fuck you feel like, you know, whatever rule you create, you can abrogate the next episode, you know? And so I'm just bored. I'm bored by the the color show on, on screen because I know it's pointless. Yeah. I I think there are uh, in some, you know, later voyage, maybe, middle Voyager where there were some Trek no babble explanations for and solutions that had a similar kind of well we'll just reconfigure the blah 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 with the do but it wasn't the central element of the show that's what I'm saying like like I believe Star Trek at other points has at least in terms of dialogue invented its solution very pretty summarily but I like last week where it's like I'm 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 not angry but I don't also don't care like I fully accept Star Trek can use science as magic and it's uh, so we just like we just kicked it and then it started working again type solutions. It happens. It's happened. It's happened in episodes I like. It's happened in episodes I didn't like. But anytime it does happen along those lines, I don't really care. Yeah, it's it's like if they did Rascals. They're spending so much time on it. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, doing Rascals, but spending half the episode on the transporter effect that caused the problem rather than the nifty character work. So it's like, yeah, it's just I don't care. And it was just like, yeah, like so problem solved. I guess like okay, it's fu- it's fine, whatever. Well, moving on. This has been something that has plagued the show from the beginning yeah yeah they'll say that something is a huge problem that's completely intractable and then solve it in like 90 seconds of screen time and it it just means that i don't believe you when you say that something is a big problem you know that this is probably the longest setup of this is a big problem that we'll solve in 90 seconds because they indicated that it was a problem last episode but they've done it before you know and they're going to do it again and so i have a very hard time investing any any care in any of these plot points that they're going after so all right fine um the war story we get admiral cornwell again that's cool i guess i, I, I always like admiral cornwell um i and again and much like with the emotional arc of tyler stuff i did just get a sense of like like okay Deep Space Nine spent a solid four seasons setting up questions about how flexible is Federation morality in the face of an overwhelming enemy, and occasionally it answered that question in the negative, which is interesting, um, given how gung-ho Starfleet tends to be about itself. Um, well, hey, Kevin, DS9 did it in six seasons. Discovery's done it in six minutes. Thank you. Thank you. That was a solid Genesis reference there. I, 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 I know what you were doing. I note it and I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I, I get it. Like, I'm, I'm bored with these long, you know, drawn out developments and discussions <laughs> of you know political situations and morality and all that shit. It's like, can we just dispense with that and get that done within uh, you know ten minutes of screen time? Because that's what we're doing here. That they had about three conversational minutes of setup for the what I take to be weapons of mass destruction versus Federation morality. 
you know, yeah. like dilemma, right? And they're going to deliver on it next episode. Probably also only within like five minutes of screen time because so many other freaking plots are being, you know, very slowly but also oddly quickly advanced. You know, it, it's just a mess. It's a mess. They, they never focus on anything interesting for more than like 20 seconds. Well, I know some of these conversations lasted like a solid three minutes. I was thrilled. Um, the character conversations did. The war conversations oh, yeah, did. Yeah. Um, I wanted to like more the conversation between Sarek and Giorgio. I, I like... I wanted to like it's I like every that... time he said my ward I just wanted to like shove an ice pick through my brain and be like <laughs> no this is not the way th- <laughs> no not in my universe you know I mean it, that uh... that's an like and I'm sure James Frain is a good actor and it's not like it's not like he's I, pretty decent yeah. I gotta say he's pretty decent I just it's... but the character is not written consistently with Sara yeah it's just it's and I just rewatched Unification, which I should not have done. Um, <laughs> so close to needing to watch Discovery, but even when Sarek was like f- having, you know, falling apart due to dementia, Mark Lennard's performance is just so like I like like if Mark Lennard were in this show somehow, maybe I would feel it. Just I associate Sarek so much with him, almost more than like other major Star Trek characters in a way. Like it's just. <sighs> Like, there even... is there is no path by which the Sarek in this story can get to the Sarek in right, Journey like, to Babel. Like, we, yeah, we have a Sarek here who literally said feelings are okay, and I lo- he practically said it's I okay love to you. love, right? Yeah. And then we're gonna get to Journey to Babel when he's like a total prick again. Um, it's just uh, it, yeah, it's to just, his biological child. Right. There's just no through line, and I miss the like. I I don't think the way they're portraying him has the gravitas. Like they're they're basically portraying him as Star Trek Six Spock instead of any Sarek. It's like it's like he has emotions and he sort of made peace with them, you know. Which, it's like, if you wanted to write a new character, Schmerick, and give him all these qualities, like yeah, we're we're back to where we started. Like I would love almost every episode of Discovery a point better if it weren't a prequel. Because all, most of my problems come from the apparent inconsistencies between the universe we're watching and the one that's uh, happening concurrently via TOS. And, and and again, I'm not trying to be overly picky here. I was thinking about this where it's like, all right, where no one has gone, where no man has gone before posits that there's an energy barrier surrounding the entire galaxy that we can't see until we get there. And that passing through it imbues you with godlike powers. That is some fairly high-level waving of the wand for setting up your story. That being said, that episode focused the story on Kirk's emotional journey of having to eventually kill his friend. That's interesting. Yeah, so like, story works. Yeah, so like to the extent that the galactic barrier is a narrative sin, it is not the like much like Rascals. The transporter thing turning you into children is a complete asshole. We there is no defending that mechanism and making the transporters even uh, useful. Like if the transporters could do that, no one would ever use them again. But the episode was actually about w- something interesting happening to characters we cared about and the story getting space to breathe to watch them all explore the neat idea. And like that's what so it's like 
because they've put so much on themselves, like they just gave themselves this much more difficult task by constantly having to tie in to the prime universe. And it's just like, had you not had to do that work, I wouldn't like if you told me this was Star Trek 100 years after Voyager, I'd be like, well, this Federation feels totally inconsistent with the Federation I know. But a century has gone by and you could argue that between the Gilded Age and the 1960s, uh, America was two qualitatively different nation states. OK, well, there's a tonal difference between TOS and TNG. I, I disagree with you on the prequel thing being the biggest problem. I think the biggest problem is writing it's a lazily slipshod you know poorly constructed show uh with plots that make no sense and scenes where emphasis is put on the wrong things the writers just suck that to me is the biggest problem i could get over prequel shit if it was a better written show uh enterprise for all of its problems is a better written show um you know, and it has many of the same questions. I right? am curious how I will feel about Enterprise since I haven't watched most of it yet. Um, I'm curious what I will think. <laughs> there are plenty of boring episodes of Enterprise, but there there are a fair number of pretty decent ones. And then by season four, a fair number of really pretty good ones. Uh, and the characterization remains consistent throughout the series. Uh, you know, and the the understanding of Star Trek ethos is solid and is explored in interesting ways uh, in many episodes. So it's I, I've watched it through twice. It is vastly more successful <laughs> as a Star Trek series. It do, it doesn't have you know nipples and f words and extremely long drawn out pew pew space battles and i just that must be what is behind people enjoying it I, I, like i think it just satisfies people on some very base level uh where it's just like you know oh, that was entertaining that was pretty it's like a J, it's like michael bay star trek um you know, and they've got like one writer on staff who tries to sneak in lines that echo real Star Trek or something. I I don't know. So Emperor Giorgio. Um, I liked her more this episode than I did last episode. Um She kinda went back to being really douchey though. <laughs> real quick. Like you had to know where you were, right? Like it was just kinda like, why would you Talk to Sarah that never mind. It's not she she was like half nice last episode. Yeah. Which was weird. <laughs> and now she's like, yeah, not nice anymore. Just just, you know, stone cold, douchebag, bitchy, you know, eh. Which was actually more fun to watch for me. Like, um, because in nothing else, like it, it seems like Burnham's contemplate like I saved Giorgio for a completely emotional reason, creating an unending list of complications for everyone here, so it was a mistake. And it's more interesting when Giorgio doesn't act in any way worthy of the redemption Burnham tried to give her. So I was fine with that. And um, just watch. But then we have the twist. Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm like trying Lest to. Lest you thought there was no twist yeah. in this episode. What is the point of that? Because the crew can't possibly believe that because they were just in the mirror universe where it turns out Giorgio is 
the Empress. Like, there's just no way. There's no way the crew believes this for a second. So I don't understand what the utility is. Like, even... It's like well, the... I, I guess only, like, four or five people know that Burnham saved her from the Mirror Universe. But you're right. The rest of them have at least seen and heard that there is an Emperor Giorgio and that they just spent, you know, a month or whatever the hell... In the mirror in universe. universe, yeah, like, like like the Klingons won't care that a re you know that a Lazarus Giorgio is attacking their homeworld. Like that's not. I don't know. Like even in story, like I don't know what the point is. Clearly, she made some devil's bargain with Sarek, and that's what Sarek has got off to go effectuate. But, but I, what can she, what can she provide that justifies giving her command of not only a starship in Starfleet, but literally the single most important starship yeah i mean it's like even if she like her, the best she could like her advice was destroy the klingons but really it's like well the federation honestly even if, even without like any kind of advanced attempt at you know weapons of mass destruction has to have the ability like if like it is not inability or lack of knowledge that would stop the federation from committing genocide they have to have the tools to yeah, commit genocide absolutely already, already. They have antimatter drives. They can destroy a planet, you know? So what what is she bringing to the equation that justifies this strategically, uh, completely untenable relinquishing of control? At, why, why are they masquerading as if... Uh, it's just stupid. It's, it's a stupid twist that no matter what the resolution of it is, the resolution will be stupid. Like, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're even going to say that it's really prime Giorgio and she's actually still alive. And so, it, like, if it's prime Giorgio, what the fuck have they been doing for the past, you know, <laughs> 13 months or 16 months? If it's mirror Giorgio, what, what does she want out of this situation? Does she want to, like commandeer the ship to jump back to the mirror universe and take back the empire or something because this is technology that would be very good i don't know it does she want to just like play captain in the prime universe from now on what does she want to become the emperor of the prime universe <laughs> who the fuck knows it it's stupid are you with me on that? I mean, it's just, it, I can't imagine a way in which it makes sense in the story, even by the, um, you know, standards. Like, I just, I, I'm a, pr I, I can't imagine anything that makes this make sense. And maybe I'll eat my words, but, um, you know, I'm just like, like, what could it possibly be? And enough twists, I'm over twists. It's not that interesting at, at the end of the day. It's like, I, I could I could spend time coming up with theories, but since I know whatever I come up with will you know not be even half as ridiculous as what they come up with, I'm just like oh fuck it. Who knows? Oh, and uh, Admiral Cornwell phasered the cookie bowl, which I thought was a little gratuitous. Um, I will say I did like uh, Sarek's line reading. Um, the the fact that he was a mere replica is, was not was not the most obvious solution. Like like yeah. that was like appropriate deadpan and did make me laugh. 
Well, and actually uh, puts quite a point on how silly the storytelling is, um, generally speaking. She says uh, that her Gabriel is dead. There's no way he could survive in that universe. Which is like, yeah. What do you the, think the over-under is right, on when load that would be the other barrel on? of Chekhov's gun there. It's just... Uh... <laughs> like half an episode, a quarter of an episode. I, I mean, what do you think? Is Prime... Lorca gonna show up in the finale? I feel like he's going to. Uh, I mean, <laughs> as long as we don't care about the if the ends justify the means, what I want is that to actually be Prime Captain Giorgio who just takes over Discovery. That would be, <laughs> like I don't care how we get there. I would actually like a crew helm. You just start a new season and forget this whole thing okay, ever right. happened. A, a, a ship helmed like. Because if Giorgio, if Prime Giorgio were captain of the Discovery, we would basically get the show we were hinted at when we watched the Shenzhou in the premiere. Like that, that like that was the most Star Trek the the series ever was. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. So Ep- episode one so was like, the most Star yeah, Trek. If was. they if they if they just decided to start again with um <laughs> with with Michelle Yeoh and Doug Jones and Sonika Martin Green anchoring this story I'd watch the fuck out of it because they are interesting and I do again love Captain Giorgio's ponytail it's just I don't know what it is but it's like right up there with Dax's ponytail for me of just like an excellent flattering but still like workable in a job sense hairstyle love it to bits um but yeah like I mean, maybe maybe Giorgio traded her some secret weapon that would destroy the Klingons in exchange for Discover. I mean, they they can't give her a this... secret weapon that she knows all of the schematics to from memory. Oh, please, she probably has it on her. <laughs> oh yeah, naturally. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to think like if she wanted Discovery to jump back to the um, mirror universe, they can't do that because the show is technically called Discovery. They can't get rid of Discovery. So, <laughs> well, also they don't have any more spores. <laughs> oh wait, why would Stamets agree? Uh, I uh, yeah, I'm done. I don't care. <laughs> like I'll watch the next episode. I, mean, I, I will say, watching this episode largely because of its focus on character work, I was the most engaged I've been since we got to the Mirror Universe at the beginning. Um, because that episode also focused on emotional work. Um, so yeah, well, that's where I, like, and I, I you know, we, we're turning into broken records, but I, I did enjoy watching the show. Like I can enjoy the experience of the images on my screen. They don't move me spiritually the way, you know, good Star Trek does, but I was entertained by and large. I'm like I, I did like this episode more than the previous one. Yes. The previous one was an interminable fight scene uh, of pointless garbage. This one was some relatively emotionally interesting scenes between characters set amidst a garbage story. <laughs> so, I mean that it's different. <laughs> it, it's marginally better. Um acting-wise, Nico Martin-Green was very good. Uh I would like to see her get to do something other than look be upset. Yeah, like like she has a beautiful smile and I I mean that I, It was not... really nice when she had the love stuff like during the the Harry Mud episode yeah, for instance. Yeah. Like 
um yeah yeah like or when she was dancing with Stamets like yeah I want to see her be able to do something other than look sadly off into the middle distance yeah just because I think she's a good actress and I think she could handle it and I think I would enjoy I would enjoy the experience of watching her be happy um uh Shazad Latif has a Oscar worthy blubbery face like it's like his whole face is like primed to look like it's about to slide off his skull in a puddle of tears. Like I don't like like yeah. he, he's pract- he's an anime character. Like like <laughs> he's being given really really bad dialogue, but he he generally does project a certain pathos that that works. Yeah, he he can quiver his lower lip like almost no one I have ever seen. It is remarkable. Um Beyond that, I, I I liked I really like Jane Brooke as Admiral Cornwall. Like I like when when they get to the starbase, and of course it's destroyed because of course it was going to be destroyed. Her like zone out in that moment was good. Like it would like it makes sense that a person at the at, already at the edge of their you know sanity, contemplating the death of eighty thousand people, um, would just fucking lose it for a minute. Like that she has. I, I like her. I will say she has a little bit of like a frontal lisp that kind of irritates me a little bit. Um, I, you know, <laughs> but so do some people in the world. So fine. I, just something I noted. Uh, I thought Tilly was pretty good. Yeah. Like if given an entire episode to expand on her position, it would have been great. But I, I also like the way they ended it with her with Burnham, because if they just kept badgering her to forgive him, that would get annoying. And I like where they landed it as, even yeah, if say it's what you got to say, even if it's goodbye like that, yeah. that was, cause that's actually sound advice. Like put the, end well, cause to, she cares about her too. Yeah. Yeah. That all worked. And I have to say, um, the, the, the award for most improved, goes to Tilly by a mile. Like, from where she started in the, uh, uh, I guess, episode three to now, really good character work and really good acting. Like, I want... Like, she is, she, you're right, she is, like, the sort of canonical Starfleet officer, and I would like to see if they give her space to grow further, it would be interesting. So, well done there, guys. Um, She's also kind of the Mary Sue... Yeah, you know, she's she's like the regular yeah, yeah. person that the fans can identify with. Um, production notes: I I gotta say, the shaky cam. It it's getting to a ridiculous level here. Every conversational scene, you know, it, it's like whoever is holding the camera, you know, has problems. Um, you know, it, it's like they're. They're, they're clearly not doing dolly shots, you know, where it's on rails and it, it's nice and, you know, static and level. Instead, they're doing some kind of handheld or steady cam thing, but they're, they're introducing intentionally, it has to be intentional, uh, shake into every conversational scene. And it's, it's driving me to the point of distraction. And I know you're less attuned to this, but, you know, just, just look for it sometime. Just just watch a conversation scene. And I, maybe it's that when I'm watching Star Trek, I'm trying to soak in the details of the world. I'm trying to look at the room and the, the displays and the art and the uniforms and all that stuff. And so maybe because 
I'm less focused on like character faces and eyes and, you know, mouths and things like that. Uh, I notice it more, but it's, it's bad. It's bad. Thank goodness they don't do it. Part of the contrast, the contrast is really noticeable in space scenes in effects shots. They don't do shaky cam. So in Battlestar, for instance, they would do, you know, shaky cam during space battles to kind of give it that documentary feel, but they would not do it in, you know, ship shots, uh, you know, medium shots with people here, every single shot, no matter the scene, they did it during the conversation with, uh, Sarek and George O. They do it on the bridge. They did it in engineering. They, they did it between Burnham and Tyler. It's like, I could get it in some scenes if it was like a really frenetic scene where they were all like doing something and, and yelling things at each other, like that would lend itself to that scene. But a quiet conversation between two people, why is the camera shaking? It doesn't make things more dramatic. It just, if you notice it, it distracts you. Okay. I've said my piece on that. It's horrible. I hate it. (laughs) I, I, don't really maybe may, i think i watch a little more uh broadcast tv than you do so maybe i'm just like immunized to it i'm just like a vaccine it's just uh <laughs> it's less noticeable to me now they don't do this on, i watch plenty i watch modern family i watch uh the good place i watch heaven help me the big bang theory um <laughs> well maybe it's just dramas because this definitely like like the the fr- like the like, like watching an episode of scandal the the camera jumps many it's, many many it's times. cheap <laughs> it's cheap cinematography it it it's cheap it's lazy it's it's a stand-in for good writing <laughs> it's a stand-in for you know direction that meaningfully creates character and scene and tension it's just cheap garbage um so there uh otherwise visually like the whole like spore you know these missiles it wasn't some, it wasn't bad i mean it certainly wasn't it looked badly fine, done. It but was, why it was, the hell are these things on the ship why do they have 75 missiles to first of all what did they launch onto this planet did they chop up this little glowing mushroom thing into little tiny pieces and put one on each of these rockets why do they have rockets with EM darts? And what? why did the rockets have, like, helicopter blades? It, like, it just... It was so pointless. I mean, it, it, what I was... I remember thinking it looks like a video game. Yeah. Do you remember what they did in Pen Pals? No, you don't, because they didn't show it, because they didn't have to. It... it the interesting part of the pen pal story was not the the mechanism by which they would quell the earthquakes on Drama four. They didn't have to spend a shit ton of money on those effects because those writers, I mean, they didn't have it to spend. They didn't have the money, but even if they did, they wouldn't have because you know why it it's immaterial to the story. It doesn't matter. It's merely a tech thing. You mention it in dialogue and you're done with it. You tech the tech and you're done. They had an okudogram. That's how they showed it, you know, which is a way better way of doing it because it gives you the big picture, right? 
needless ostentation which detracts from the story. I mean, again, yeah, I, I was not mad at anything. I agree. That I wasn't mad at it. It's just pointless. I'm just saying it's t it is time they could have spent on the other things that were working like gangbusters. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of it. I think, I, I mean, in the balance, I think this is a three from me. Like, the character work was strong enough. The acting was strong enough. The production was, like, even if you don't like what they did, you can't deny they did it well. Um, so it's, I think it's like, especially because they put so much work largely successful into character relationships i think this lands squarely in a three <sighs> i i do think this is better than the previous episode i gave the previous episode a two i mean a two for us is supposed to be something that has deep flaws yet some redeeming facets right uh whereas a three is solid well done but not spectacular in any way. Um, so I think I'm still on a two for this. Uh, the, the various emotional scenes between characters worked, but the plot didn't really work. And the twist didn't really work. And the science, quote unquote, was stupid and horrible. And, uh... Yeah, even so, even some of the emotional stuff between characters, specifically the the Burnham Tyler scene in which his dialogue was just atrocious. Um, yeah, I guess I'm still at a two on this. But like I want when those things were happening on screen, when the characters were having conversations with each other, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, this is a lot better." You know, I'm enjoying this a lot more than the previous episode, but then. It, it just kept being sort of yanked away from me, like like Lucy with the football, you know? It's like, oh, yeah? You think we're being smart now? <laughs> no, things are still dumb-dumb, you know? And, you know, Giorgio, come on. <sighs> we'll see if this apparent ramp-up to a an ethical quandary will actually bear itself out. Will they spend more than one minute on the question of whether they should destroy Kronos? What do you think, Kevin? <laughs> uh, maybe two. Given the track, given the track record of the series so far, I would be shocked if questions and discussion and real substantive debate over killing millions or billions of people was given more than 90 seconds of screen time. And that's sad. <laughs> it's sad. Do you know? Where do, where do you think they're going to go? You know? Like, presumably they're going to have to mark some time in the Tyler story. What time will that be? Will it be him trying to win her back? Will it be the resurfacing of Vogue shit? You know? Will it be him hooking up with Laurel? Eh, yeah. I would not be shocked if it was him hooking up with Laurel. And that'll be like 15 minutes of the episode, right? Yeah. And then we're going to get at least 10 minutes of like 
how much should we trust Giorgio, right? And then there's just going to have to be some spore shit, which has taken between five and ten minutes of every episode thus far. Uh, so how much time is left for the actual interesting stories? Presumably we're going to see Sarek again. Maybe he'll, like, do his Katra Skyping with Burnham or something. Oh, yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like the, hello, mind meld. Like, that That nagged me. I didn't like when Spock did it in Star Trek VI, and I said so at the time. Um, given the relative, int- the apparent intimacy um, uh, that a mind meld entails and its cultural taboo, or at least cultural weight, um, I did not like him just mind melding like in, you know enthusiastic consent is the standard for mind melds yeah, at uh, gunpoint yeah like uh no no also you could have just asked a question like no one was unwilling to answer questions you could have started with a question no um, no kevin there was desperate times call for desperate <laughs> there, measures you have to come with me there's no time to explain <laughs> it's like yeah. you could explain now i said there's no time <laughs> All right. I mean, I like I like this episode more just because it gave me more of what I want. So I'm happy with my three. Uh, that makes it makes. It... I I agree. It was better. Yeah. And I did I did like it more, but the the things I liked were still you know swathed in a shit sandwich. Um, you know, the filling was better, but the bread is still shit. And so I like until they can successfully either excise these garbage storylines that don't work or just execute them better. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get above a two again. Like the best episode was what either the Harry mud episode or the first episode, right? No, we gave an eight to the first uh, mirror universe episode. Okay. And that was because it focused on one story, you know, for the most part and really dealt in, in character issues. Right. Uh, just feels like they've got so many balls in the air and none of them are being handled in a satisfying way uh, to me and the writers suck and don't get star trek and are lazy and don't understand plot or character or scene so except for that stuff it's a really good show yeah, I'm a little less down on them, but I, I mean, I I take your criticisms. I agree with most of them. It's just, uh, um, yeah. Look, I mean, I'm coming off of watching The Good Place, and maybe it's unfair to compare other shows to The Good Place because sometimes there are shows that are so quintessentially, you know, perfect and thoughtfully constructed and surprising and delightful, but also consistent. You know, The Good Place is one of the best shows I've ever seen. It's certainly the best thing being produced right now. Uh, and it, it's hard to watch lazy, badly constructed shows after you've watched a show that's like a like jewel movement inside a watch, perfect in its construction. And its execution. Um, so, 
maybe my standards are too high. It, when I when I look at the the fights online about it, that seems to be the the basic thesis of the discovery apologists. You know, it's like you guys are just a bunch of haters. You know, you would find anything to to dislike and disagree with. You know, can't you just sit back and enjoy? It's like no, I can't. I can't just turn my brain off because Star Trek was what got my TV brain going in the first place. You know, I, I can't just say, yeah, that's not important to me anymore because it is. It just is. I, like I want deep story. I want big ideas. I want discussions of, you know, philosophical import. I want good acting. I want rational production you know in which small details are kept track of and and executed well i i just want those things and i'm not getting it so sorry for being so negative i guess but <laughs> the show sucks and if you can't see that you're not looking in the right places you know you're, you're just some sort of mouth breathing action movie aficionado that like this is enough for you, okay? Maybe that's going too far. Yeah, I think that's a little extreme. I, I I have a friend who very much likes Discovery, who went as Cedo Jaxa for three Halloweens in a row. So I don't think I could accuse her of not liking original Star Trek enough, or the things about Star Trek which which we like. I mean, that's a there's a that's a deep cut show about the fine grained experience of living on a starship. I mean, that's a that's everything we we argue is missing from. Um, from Discovery. Her argument largely tends to be um, this is zippier and less stodgy than its predecessors, but I, I think I think the people who like Discovery are basically implying Star Trek into the stories. Like, she is happier with, like, a one-minute, uh, like, check-in with a Star Trek discussion than having it be the whole scene. And maybe, I don't know, like, for me, it's like at some point that does just mean you are a different show wearing a Star Trek suit. Um, like, at some point, I want to know the show can do those things rather than simply name drop them. Um, but I also can understand where it's like, if the mere mention of a moral conversation is enough to make you feel that the show is of a piece with the moral conversations that came before it, and on many vectors, somewhat exhaustively, I, I get it, like, I mean, I get the flip side argument that had the tardigrade episode just been a moral discussion about what to do with the tardigrade, it would have felt very much like treading ground that's already been tread in Star Trek. So I, I can appreciate that argument from a distance. Um, at some point, I am going to want Discovery to do some primary philosophizing, moralizing talking to show they know how, um, rather than simply, you know coast on like deep space nine for as much as it challenged star trek storytelling still told stories in a star trek way there were still a lot of conversations about even in like an actiony episode like the siege of ar 558 most of that episode was not in fact shooting uh most of that episode was hushed tense conversations about the ethics of warfare so i think it is possible to do those things to even be a zippier less talky star trek that still is of a piece with with other star trek and i think discovery misses that mark more often than it doesn't i actually like the first mirror universe episode i think is a great example it was an action focused episode lots of or at least it was a as action focused as anything else um 
but it anchored the action in the emotional reaction of a character we cared about. So I cared about the act. Like the the fight in the turbo lift was much more emotionally effective than any of the fights uh, in other fights in the mirror universe. They were, you know, technically very well staged. The fight choreographer clearly earned his paycheck. And upon watching a, a like a gif of that face kick a dozen times and a supercut of Michelle Yeoh hurting people. Um, in her other movies, I think that kick was real. Um, but movie, uh, but like the fight in the turbo lift was interesting because it was the crystallization of Burnham's fear of being in the mere universe. She would have to kill someone who looks like a friend whose death she already felt guilty for, and that hurts. So, so it was a like rather than her talk about her feelings. She stabbed about her feelings, but because the action was still anchored gravitationally on her feelings, I still cared about it. So maybe that's the takeaway here. I could tolerate an action-focused Star Trek series if they managed to thread the needle consistently of making me invest in the characters doing the action, and if nothing else, the constant concussive twists at this point really kind of make me check out because all you've told me is none of the characters are who they say they are none of them are dead when they're really dead none of them are here when they're really here so what difference does it make like and no no aspect of the plot which limits actions cannot be undone yeah so like i'm not uh, i'm not saying i like the show i'm saying on some level i continue to see the potential of the show and like like Oasis in the Desert, things like Sonequa Martin-Green and Doug Jones' performances are enough to sustain me as I continue to to traverse this this desert. I'm I, I just um I'll say this like I don't understand how people like the Abrams movies. Like even if you've never seen Star Trek and you watch that movie, I think you would go, "This is not even as a popcorn movie a good movie." I can understand why people like this. Like, if, if, if their need for explicit Star Trek moralizing is less urgent than ours, then there, is many, there are many things to recommend this show. Its narrative sins are not that different than, you know, like, watch an episode of Scandal. I mean, dear God. The character motivation, like, it's all about the twist. And I enjoyed watching it on that basis. So it's not like I can't understand someone who watches a dramatic, extremely well-acted show where all the drama comes from ridiculous, unsustainable plot twists and U-turns and undoing things. And sure, you get annoyed, but you roll your eyes and you keep going because that's not what you're here for. In Star Trek, it is what I'm here for. So I, I understand why you don't like it. I just don't feel it as I do not have the emotional reaction you are having and I can also understand why the people who like the show like the show without questioning their analytical abilities (laughs) I, I believe that people who like Discovery may well be intelligent in other areas of their life like they they might be good at their jobs, they might have you know good ideas about things. They're just clearly not looking for the things that I'm looking for because they're not there. And if they claim they're there, then as you said and as I've said before, they're making them up in their heads. You know, they're they're sort of copying and pasting other Star Trek they've seen and assuming 
its existence here because it's not on the page and it's not on the stage. It's, it's just not here. There have been fleeting mentions, fleeting sort of references to ideas, but no actual ideas. Uh, okay, so that's a five. Um, you know, maybe people think I'm being harsh. If there are people who are thinking such things, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, uh, that's why we have two ratings here. That's why it's not just me giving everything a two or a one. Uh, you know, and sometimes I like things better than Kevin does. So there you go. I'm going to be extra hard on you as we wrap up Voyager. I'll, I'll like, like a hawk. I'm going to point out any, any sin I feel you are, you are undervaluing because of your affection for Voyager. I'm going to be right. I'm going to be right there. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, affection is earned and Voyager. Yes. TNG. Yes. Voyager. Yes. TOS get passes sometimes on similar sins. Why? Because there's enough other stuff there that's been done consistently enough over time. Yeah, They've earned a few breaks. This show has earned nothing. It has earned no breaks. You know, it, it lives and dies by its plot and its plot is stupid. So there you go. You know, the other shows build consistent characters over time. Don't turn them into secret Romulan agents, you know, it's like, haha, you were wrong to care about this person because they were an evil all along. <laughs> you know, no, it's like when you meet Jordy in episode one of TNG, when you leave Jordy in all good things, it's been one character the whole time. You feel like you know him. You feel like you care about him. And so with every other character on every other series, except for this one. And, you know, there are some horrendously bad episodes of all of those series, you know. But for one thing, there's more episodes, you know. It, it's not like 15-episode seasons all the way through. They're not trying to cram so much story into so little space. And so, you know, some experiments work, some experiments don't. But those shows get a pass because they, they do the work. They've put the work in. They've created the world. They've they've got rules. They generally follow the rules. Occasionally they break them, you know, but they hit more often than they miss, right? This has just been miss, 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 miss. It, it If it had been like seven or eight episodes, kind of like the Harry Mudd episode where there was a big idea where, you know, at, like maybe I'd feel differently, but it, this – this isn't that. This show has earned no breaks from me. I'm not. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a jerk. You know. I'm. Not, I'm not a horrible stickler. I'm a forgiving person who likes to have fun. I can't have fun with this show. I, I can't. And I want to. So maybe that's my emotional reaction. It's like, I, I want to enjoy it. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I am in a much more zen place of continuing to watch the show and see what happens. And while, don't get me wrong, I don't feel as angry as you, but I certainly don't love the show as much as I love, you know, TNG or DS9. So it's, you know, it's what it is. Um, yeah. Voyager is a million times better than this show. 
and I will fight anybody who, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it's like come at me. I, I think I think I have some friends of our era, like our age cohort, um, who who might who might be like like not just like new viewers who uh, this is like the, that would be an interesting conversation. I'm gonna find my friend. I, I have a couple of Trekkie friends who don't like Voyager. I'm gonna see I'm gonna see if they've watched Discovery yet and see what they say and uh, invite <laughs> them to do a guest spot. I think that would be a fun day. Oh hey, I like Voyager better than DS9. DS9 is a million times better than this show, too. Well, DS9, so, so TNG, far... DS9, Voyager, they are all of a piece. You can argue that they're slightly more successful or slightly less successful, but generally they all hew to a baseline level of quality. This show has not reached it. It's pretty. It's got great effects, but it's it's vapid. It's stupid. It's meandering. It... <laughs> That, that's the paradox. It's like it's meandering and too fast at the same time, which is a very weird thing to experience. It's like they, they can't settle on the story they want to tell, so they just, like, skip it. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, we've, we've beaten this horse soundly to death. Um, so that is, a, that is a five for the war without, the war within, and the war here on Treknababble will continue next week. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't think we disagree as much as someone might think. Uh, you know, Kevin just wants to be happy. I do. I do just want to be happy. It is a studied exercise in a Vulcan-like detachment. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, everyone. Yes, live long and prosper.